Good evening. Good evening, everyone. My Bible is open to Hebrews chapter 6, and I need you to open a Bible to Hebrews the 6th chapter as well, please. Lots and lots of Bible tonight, of course. If you would be turning in the Word of God to the 6th chapter of Hebrews, I think that would prove helpful to you as we work together in the Word of God. I am energized to be here in McAllen, Texas. This is the third time that I've had the chance to be with this congregation, and I appreciate so much them giving me another chance to get it right. That's just marvelous. Last time I was here was in 2015, and what I remember is a warm congregation of people who cared about the Word of God, wanted to get in the Word of God, and live like Jesus wants us to live. Those are good memories, and I am ready to stir those up again, be with you, and to talk particularly and especially about this subject of hope and what hope is all about. Because we live in a time when our world has advanced in so many ways, transportation and medicine and technology and computers, but let's be honest, it seems like... Yeah, it seems like we're really short these days on any kind of optimistic feel about the future. So let me tell you where we're going this weekend and the kind of things that we want to be about. Tomorrow night, Lord willing, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we do when life disappoints and how we find hope and hold on to hope in those circumstances. On Sunday morning in the Bible class, we'll talk about hope for overcoming sin. If you're battling and battling and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, let's talk about what we can do so that we can walk with Jesus in the way that we know we can and should. Then in the Sunday morning lesson hour, maybe the most important lesson that I'll present this weekend, I want to talk with you about our hope of heaven. And particularly, I want to talk to you about that from the angle of it's just hard to be lost. And that may scratch you as a little funny, but I assure you, we want to talk about that from the Word of God. That'll be of value to you. On Sunday night, well, there's not going to be a Sunday night lesson because the Cowboys play, so I'll not be here. No, that's not true. But it might be a short lesson. We'll see if we can be very timely Sunday evening. But we will talk about evangelism. And we'll talk about something that so many of us want to be about. We would love to help our friends and neighbors know about Jesus the Christ. But in so many ways, so much of our society is pushing back against any of those kinds of efforts. What can we do to fill others with the hope of the gospel? It's a full weekend. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunity to talk about hope. And I'm going to do that from Hebrews the 6th chapter. If you'll read with me there, please. In Hebrews chapter 6... In Hebrews 6 and verse 18, there the Hebrew writer says, It is impossible, for by two two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What a fantastic passage that is when we're talking about hope and about being anchored to hope. I'm going to begin every sermon from Hebrews chapter 6. I want us to think about that kind of hope. And maybe a good way to contrast and for us to begin thinking about that and how powerful that idea is, is to just think a little bit about where where we are on hope. And I said something a minute ago about we're, we're missing that optimistic bent for the future. And I thought about that a lot when I saw some people talking about a world's fair. Have you ever been to a world's fair? Well, if you're under 40 years old, the answer to that question is, no, you have not. 
because we haven't had a World's Fair in the United States in more than 40 years. Here's a good example of what a World's Fair looks like. This is the Seattle World's Fair in 1962. All kinds of pavilions and exhibits talking about the future, showing off solar power, nuclear powers, the space race. It is all happening at this World's Fair. And a big part of that, of course, was the Space Needle that's still there in Seattle. And it was designed to say everything is pointing up because things are just getting better. Look at all the cool technology and stuff that we have. One president said that World's Fairs are the timekeepers of progress. They record the world's advancement. Is that why we're not having World's Fairs anymore? The last one we had was in Knoxville, Tennessee, literally 41 years ago. Who thinks that's still valid? Things are pointing up, getting better. Our world's a very different place now, isn't it? And whether you want to talk about culture wars or terrorism or global pandemics or supply chain shortages or wars here or this kind of racism or online bullying, there's all kinds of things going on all the time now that cause most people to say things are not getting better. Things are... yeah... Things are progressively getting worse and worse. In fact, that's affecting our young people more than ever before. One study found that from 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they have persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. We're talking about a quarter of the high school population. Now we're talking about a half Almost half of the high school population. In fact, more than one in four high school girls reported that during the pandemic they seriously considered suicide. In fact, it's not just high school girls. Every category of teen mental health that you can measure, every metric and statistic says the same thing. Young people are down. Young people don't see the world like a world's fair. And it's not just teenagers. Adults have climbed right in on top of that and said, we'll participate in the sadness too. A study done by the Boston University School of Public Health found that the elevated rate of depressions that began during the pandemic have persisted. Now, almost a third of the American population says that they suffer from some kind of depression. One writer said, the sensation now is that things are awful, and nothing can be done, nothing will change, and nothing can help it. Is that where you are? Whatever happened to hope? I want you to know this evening, I believe in hope. I do. I believe in that hope of Hebrews chapter 6. I believe in gospel-centered, helmet of salvation, found in Jesus Christ, hope. And I want you to have that hope as well. That hope that gives us an optimism about our future, that puts a bounce in our step, and that says to people who are outside the body of Christ, I want a big slice of what they've got. They're living different. They see the world different. They have hope. So let me give you the game plan here for this evening. This is what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to talk about the centrality of hope in a disciple's life. And then I want us to focus on what most people think is going to give them hope 
and why that doesn't work. And then I'm going to tell you the secret about the Christian's hope that most people don't know. And I'll complete all that by giving you three ways to build more hope in your life. My hope is that this sermon will be done by Tuesday about lunch. You you brought food? Okay. Well, I hope we can get out in a timely fashion. So the thing for us to do is what? The thing for us to do is to get started in the Word of God. If you've heard me preach before, you know that I'm very insistent that you're looking at your own Bible. I want you to turn in the Word of God. Whether that's paper, whether you're going to unroll a scroll, or whether you're going digital, let's stack some Scripture and let's talk here for a little bit about how significant hope is in the life of a disciple. Let's start in Matthew chapter 12. Here we go. In Matthew chapter chapter 12. I'm reading there in verse 21. In Matthew chapter 12 and in verse 21, look how Jesus brings hope. In Matthew chapter 12 and in verse 21, as Jesus fulfills the prophecies of Isaiah, in Matthew 12 and 21, and in his name, mm -hmm, the Gentiles will hope. Now let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 1 now. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter, the first chapter, listen to what the Apostle says here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 3. There he says, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, let's find Ephesians in our Bibles and look at Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, here the Apostle Paul speaks of hope when he says this in Ephesians 1. There he says in verse 18, I'm praying for you that the eyes of Ephesians 1 verse 18, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance for the saints? In fact, in Romans 15, I'm sorry, in Romans 12, in Romans 12, there's an interesting little passage here in verse 12. In Romans 12 and 12, Paul says that hope helps us to rejoice. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Let me couple to that what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, because Christians, even when they cry, even when we're sorrowful, even when we're weeping, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us in verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, about those who are asleep, those who have passed away. We don't want you not to know what, what that's all about. So that you won't grieve as people do, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, who have no hope. See that? Who have no hope. I need to add to that the Romans passage in Romans 15 now. This is Romans 15. I love what Paul says here. In Romans 15 and verse 13, he says there, I want God to fill you, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit 
you may abound in hope. Don't you love that? I don't want a teaspoonful of hope. I don't want somebody with an eyedropper to give me maybe a draw. Oh, just a little. No, no, no. I want to abound. I want to overflow with hope. So let's go back to that passage we started with in Hebrews 6. In Hebrews 6, you ready to read that passage again? Look again at verse 18. In Hebrews 6 and verse 18, there we read, "...by two unchangeable things..." It is impossible for God to lie. So we have fled for refuge so that we might have strong encouragement. We get done with this gospel meeting effort this weekend. I hope someone says, that was strong encouragement. We want to have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us because we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. The New Testament is clear. Christians run on hope. Hope is the fuel in the engine of discipleship. We must have hope. So I'm asking you now, where's your hope meter at? You full up? You have lots of hope, expectation for the future? Are you, from Hebrews 6, anchored by that hope? I'm going to push everything we do this weekend through these passages and just ask over and over and over again, are you tied to Jesus Christ by hope? Do you have hope when the strong tides lift and the cables strain? Will you be anchored? Will you firm remain? What are you tying your life to? And as I'm thinking about that, maybe the thing to say is, we need to be very careful about what we anchor ourselves to. We don't want to anchor to false hopes. And maybe this is a good way for us to think through some of those ideas. What exactly, Mark, do you mean by hope? People kind of toss that around, think about that in different sorts of ways. But here's a great way to think about it. Hope is hope's whatever you put in that blank. That's exactly what you're hoping in. That's what you are anchored to. One writer said... Hope is when we look forward to a future that will be different from now. Hope is when we look forward to a future that looks different than right now. And so that's it. That's it. Because of this, my future is going to be different. Someday I'll be okay. What you fill in the blank in with? Now, you know and I know what the majority of Americans are filling the blank in with. And that would be money. Money's it. Money's going to make things okay. If I just have enough wealth, if I just have enough finances, if I just have enough money in the bank, everything will turn out all right. If it's not money that people are putting in the bank, what are people putting in the blank? What are most people putting in that blank? Wow. You know, I came because I thought I could preach, and now I cannot say, put in the blank. What are you going to put in the blank here if it's not money? A lot of people are going to put, particularly our young people in the audience tonight, fame, 
celebrity. And in fact, sometimes those things go together. My plan is to be a famous YouTuber and everybody's going to click on my channel and I'm going to go viral. I'm going to get on TikTok. Everybody's going to watch me and click. There'll be ad revenue streams pouring in. Maybe I'll do unboxing videos of power tools. Everybody's going to love me and I'm going to get all this money and all this free stuff. Fame, money. Those two things are driving our country. Can I ask you this? Is that strong? Is that strong? You anchor to that? You anchor to wealth? Because that can't be taken away from you, right? We're in a time right now where there's so much economic uncertainty. We don't know about inflation. We don't know what the stock market's going to do. We don't know about crypto and where that's going to go. Lots of people have been rich one day and wiped out the next. You want to talk about celebrity? You want to tie to that? You want to try some celebrity? How many celebrities are famous one day and the next day you use their name? Somebody says, who are you talking about? I never even heard of him. I'm all about this other person. It comes and it goes, doesn't it? Look with me in the Psalms, please. In Psalm the 20th chapter, go back to the Old Testament. In Psalm 20, here the writer talks about false hopes, anchoring to things that don't last, tying your life to something that's not worth tying your life to because it's not solid and secure. I'm reading here in Psalm the 20th chapter, in Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, we rise and stand upright. Think about it. Money, fame, wealth, popularity, celebrity, all of those things can be taken away in a storm. The stock market can crash, the world can cancel you, those aren't real anchors. And maybe if you're sitting here this evening, you're thinking, well, I'd never, I would never put anything in the blank, which... I still can't say. I would never fill in the blank with money. I would never do that. Oh, popularity. Oh, Mark, I knew better than that. What are you putting there? How about friends? Hey, friends are great. Friends are great. Friends can be a blessing from God. But you know, Jesus had 12 friends. One of them turned him into the cops and the other 11 ran away. Somebody says, oh, family. You know, I'm all about family. That's what's going to make things better for me, my family. Family's great. Family can be a blessing from God. But you know what? Your parents aren't going to live forever. Your spouse isn't going to live forever. Your kids aren't going to live forever. Those things are temporal, aren't they? Those things are not going to fit in that blank in the way that we want. Oh, what about technology? You know, that's what's making life so much better. We've got these amazing laptops. We've got these incredible smartphones. Really? Really? Hey, did you know this? You can tell Siri. Siri... Remind me in 10,000 years to put the milk back in the fridge. And you know what Siri will say? Okay, reminder set in 10,000 years to put the milk back in the fridge. Professional tip, don't drink that milk. I'm not sure that I want to trust in technology that doesn't even have enough common sense to say 10,000 years you won't be worrying about the milk in the fridge, pal. Are you really going to anchor to something that can crash? Are you going to anchor to something... That can be infected with a virus. Come on, we know the troubles of technology. We know better than that. We know better to put anything here that's part of this world. Isn't that what Jesus says? In Matthew chapter 6, can I have Matthew 6 please? In Matthew chapter 6, 
in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, look what Jesus is warning us about here. In Matthew chapter 6, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the following in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Why don't we believe Jesus? Why don't we believe Jesus? Particularly after we've just gone through a global pandemic where millions and millions of dollars of economic value were destroyed, people's health was destroyed, people's lives were lost. How can we possibly pretend after everything that we have seen, oh, I can tie my life to this. Oh, this is so solid. This is so powerful. It will never fail me. I can hope in this. I'm saying to you this evening, we want something more. We need something better. If we're going to hope for our tomorrow to be better, we need something beyond just this world. And I would say to you, the reason there is so much hopelessness in our world is because what people are putting their hope in is something they can't reach, like super wealth or super celebrity, or even if they get there. It does not sustain them and fill them with genuine hope. And then storms come along and life is absolutely wrecked. Got to do better than that. What is better than that? You know what I'm going to say about that. Come to church on a Friday night. What's the preacher going to tell you? It's about what? It's about the Lord. Our hope needs to be in God. Let's try some of that in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Watch how Paul characterizes hope in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. There he says in Ephesians 6, 17, that we need to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This hope of salvation, this hope in God, becomes our helmet that protects the most important part of the soldier, his head. We want the helmet of salvation. Now in Colossians, in Colossians 1 and verse 5, here Paul gets specific about that. When he says in Colossians 1 and in verse 5, we're talking to you Colossian brethren about the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And I'll now go over to the book of Titus. Look with me in the book of Titus for a moment. Watch how this operates in this letter to the young preacher Titus. In Titus 1, I'm reading in Titus 1 and in verse 2. There I'm reading... In Titus 1 and verse 2, "...in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began." And now in Titus 2, how about Titus 2 verse 13? What are we doing? We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And now in chapter 3, told you hope was important in Titus. In chapter 3, look at verse 7, "...being justified by His grace," Titus 3 verse 7, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's work on this now. How strong is the hope of eternal life? How powerful is hope in God? Is this just wishful thinking? You can't really get to heaven? Of course not. This is the promise 
of God sent His Son to make that real for you. Well, what about storms? What about storms? Can this hope be destroyed because there's an economic recession? Can this hope be taken from you because you lose your health? Can this hope be taken from you because everybody at school decides to be mean to you this week? Answer, no it can't. This is super strong hope. This is something we can tie our life to. This will hold us fast in the storms of life. However, you know, when the preacher says that kind of stuff, everybody nods their head. That preaches really, really well. But what are we really thinking about that? We're thinking about what Paul said there in that passage in Titus about waiting. Titus 2.13 We don't want to put heaven in the blank and say that's what we're hoping in because, because the hope of heaven seems really far away. I mean, isn't that so? When do you go to heaven? You go to heaven when you die. That's when you get that hope realized. And if you ask people, when do you think you're going to die? Everybody will give you the same answer. A really long time from now. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, unless the last birthday cake you had had about 150 candles on it. Everybody expects the end point of their life to be... Mm, way down there. And that's especially true for these young people that I'm so glad to see this evening. If you're 15 years old, your average life expectancy is 75. Which means that for you, heaven is four lifetimes away. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? If you're 35, your average lifespan is still 75. Guess what? Guess what? You have more time left than you've already lived. Looks like a long time, doesn't it? See? No matter how we play that out, even if your lifespan is expected to be 75 and today you're 77, what are you thinking about that? Well, I'm healthy. I put my seatbelt on when I drive in the car. I took some Flintstones chewy vitamins yesterday. I'm going to be good. Nobody expects to die in the morning. What do preachers do about that? You know what we do. We tell stories. We tell stories of people who died suddenly... And very unexpectedly. We really love the stories where a young person dies because that says to young people, hey, 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 look at this. You could die in the morning. You'd better make sure you're right with God. You'd better make sure you have a hope of heaven. This could happen to you. So we tell stories about frightening diseases with a name as long as your arm that nobody can pronounce. Or we find something in the news really catastrophic. I don't know. Somebody got killed by Peruvian murder llamas. Oh, they ate him. It was just terrible. And we frighten everybody with that. But everybody goes home, what are we really thinking? Yeah, that's exactly what we're thinking. The average lifespan didn't get to be 75 in the United States because most people died age 12. And it is true that you could be killed in a car accident on the way home tonight. Yes, that could happen. You ought to get right with God if it did. Boy, got to think about that. But the reality is, probably not. Probably not. So somebody says, wait a minute. Where's my hope now? How am I going to anchor to something that's so far away? How does that make my life better right now when you're talking about something that's decades in the future? How much value is this hope of heaven providing in my life right now? I wonder sometimes if this is why Christians quit. Because they don't see the value of the hope of heaven. Or maybe they think they're going to live so long they'll just pick it up at the end. But right now I'm going to do some other stuff. I'm going to fill in that blank 
with something else. This isn't a very strong hope. I don't feel very anchored to this. What do you say about that? What we need to say about that is that sometimes Christians think, disciples think, Christianity is all future. It's all lived in the future tense. It's something that's going to happen way down there. But that isn't what the Bible says. This is the secret a lot of Christians don't know about Christian hope. Can you find in your Bible with me, please, Philippians, the second chapter? In Philippians chapter 2... In Philippians chapter 2, in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 12. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says the following, Philippians 2 and 12, Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a now verse. That's a right now. Do this now. That's in the present tense, not the future tense. Work it out now because... You ever notice Philippians 2.13? Because God, it is God who works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. The Bible doesn't say that Christianity is all about later. The Bible says Christianity is about right now. That God is doing something in your life... Today, right now. Look in Hebrews with me. In Hebrews 13, in Hebrews chapter 13, in Hebrews 13 at the end of this epistle, in Hebrews the 13th chapter, look at verse 20. In Hebrews 13 and 20, the Hebrew writer says this, in Hebrews 13 and verse 20, May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, look at all the work of God there. Everything that God is doing. The things that only God can do. I'm praying, the Hebrew writer says, to that God, that He will do what? Verse 21. He will equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's at work now. God's equipping now. God is working in your life now so that you can get to heaven then. You ever thought about that? Ever realize how now-oriented Christianity is? Look in Romans 8. In Romans chapter 8, in Romans 8, I love what Paul says here in Romans 8 and in verse 28. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, there he says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. God's working in our circumstances. God's working in our environment. God's doing stuff. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. What's His purpose? What's God doing? What's God going for? What's God's agenda? Verse 28, 29. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers, those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Please underline in your Bible conformed to the image of His Son. That passage is telling us that passage is telling us that Christianity is a whole lot more than something that's going to happen to us when we die. It is an anchor right now because God is at work in our lives today to shape us into what? The image, verse 29, of His Son. To get to heaven then... 
We need God to do something now. Which means Christianity is not all in the future. Christianity is occurring in my life now. And my hope that the future is going to look different is because I'm going to look different because God worked in my life. That's what my hope's all about. The work of God. That I am walking, I'm on this great journey, and God is walking with me, and He's working on me as I go along. Paul says something about that. Can I have Ephesians 2? Can I have Ephesians chapter 2? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 10. Here Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, this is verse 9. How about verse 8? I'll just back up to verse 8. By grace you've been saved, Ephesians 2, 8. You've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works. Nobody can boast. Don't get about yourself. Can't earn salvation. You don't get brownie points for coming on Friday night. That's not how this works. It's the grace of God. But what God, what is God all about? God has, verse 10 told us that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see that God prepared that beforehand? God has a work for us to do and He has prepared those works and our life is about doing what? Doing those things as God shapes us into the image of His Son, a journey that is finally completed, finally completed at His throne, finally completed in heaven. And I love that idea of walk, that we should walk in them. We don't get saved, and then God takes us directly to heaven. No, we get saved and we go on a walk. That expression is used more than 25 times in the New Testament. We are walking with God, and God is walking with us so that, so that we can get to heaven. But that walk... That present work, what God is doing in our life so that we are more like Christ, so that we can get to heaven, all of that comes together to be, that's our hope. That's what we're about. That's what we're tied to. We're tied to the work of God, saving us, not someday way down there, but starting that process even right here follow an account on Twitter, and every day the guy tweets out the same thing. He tweets this out. Christian, you're one day closer to heaven. Ain't it so? It's exactly so. And we're walking with God, and God is working and shaping us to get there. Which means that the Christian's hope is real, and the Christian's hope is attainable. We couldn't get there on our own. But with God's help, yeah, we absolutely are going to get there. So think about the difference this makes in your life. I'm going somewhere. I have a goal. And I have a mechanism and means to reach that goal. And my God is helping me get to that goal. I may not always understand everything that's going on. Like Joseph 
or Daniel or Esther. I may not always understand what God is doing in my life today, but God is working right now. And sometimes God's just working by parking me in the right place at the right time. Like the Ethiopian eunuch who's rolling down the road and there's a gospel preacher standing there. Or like Lydia who goes outside to pray and she's with some women down by the river and here comes an apostle to preach the gospel. God's super good at doing that. But God's always doing stuff that moves us closer to heaven. We can count on God to transform us day by day into the image of His Son. That's what we're hoping in. And that means, bonus, sometimes we look back at our life and we realize there are a thousand places we thought that day was meaningless. Nothing really happened that day. Oh, that wasn't a very big day. And now, a couple of years later, we look back and we realize, you know what? That was huge. God was doing that. God brought me to that place. God helped me to meet that person. God brought me to the Laurel Heights Church of Christ on a Friday night. And I heard a lesson that filled me with gospel-centered hope. See it? See it? That's what God's all about. Now maybe we should just talk a little bit then about how to get more hope. What kind of things could we do in our lives so that we could have more of this? God is at work. God's bringing me. God's walking with me. God is shaping me toward the goal of heaven to be conformed to the image of His Son. What kind of things can we do to have more of that kind of real hope? Let me give you three things very quickly, okay? First and foremost, how about this? We need to be careful about all the hope killers in our world. I'll show you that. Look at Numbers the 13th chapter. In Numbers chapter 13, in Numbers the 13th chapter, in Numbers the 13th chapter, the children of Israel stand on the edge of the land of Canaan. They have been walking and they have been on a journey. This is Numbers 14, not Numbers 13. Numbers 14, please. And they've been on a journey, God working in them and through them to bring them to the promised land. And they get there in Numbers 14, verse 1, and all the congregation raises a loud cry and the people wept that night. How come? Because the ten faithless spies, Numbers 13, go look at the land of Canaan and come back and say, nope, we're done. Mm, no, no. Can't be doing that. Not going to get in. No way, no how. They've got strongholds. They've got giants. We can't handle it. We're all done here. We're all just going to die right here. Ten men kill the hope of two million people. Ten men. All the people, verse 2, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, Hey, this isn't a problem. God smote Egypt with ten plagues. We got this. Oh, all the people said, Oh, Moses, get out that staff. You cut the Red Sea. Let's go to the Promised Land. We trust in God. Nope. Nope. Oh, we wish we had died in the land of Egypt. Would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones that will come pray. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses, you're fired. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly, congregation, the people of Israel. These people lost hope because ten faithless people pointed them to problems and challenges rather than urging them to trust in God. We got anybody in our world today that's killing hope? Absolutely. 
Anytime you interact with media, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on the television, wherever and whatever, what are we hearing constantly? Everything is terrible and it's all going to get worse. One writer talked about teen depression and he said the following, We can't rule out the possibility that teens feel sad not just because the world contains sadness, but because young people have 24-7 access to websites that constantly tell them they should be depressed. That's working in our kids' lives. That's working in a lot of adult lives, isn't it? In the book of Proverbs, please, in Proverbs chapter 12, in Proverbs chapter 12, look at verse 25. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25, there we read, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. And maybe this is the place to hear a good word from Jesus. In Matthew 6, in Matthew chapter 6, you want to talk about anxiety? You want to talk about problems? What's Jesus say about that? In Matthew 6 and verse 26, Matthew 6 and 26, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on? Isn't your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and let your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus is right, isn't He? Worry doesn't do any good. What can you do about the war in Ukraine? What can you do about inflation? What can you do about Peruvian murder llamas? Answer, nothing, nothing. We don't have any access to government policy. Nobody at the United Nations is calling me today to mitigate the problems in Europe or the problems... No, we have nothing to do with any of that. That's all beyond our sphere of control. Yet we allow the media to funnel that into our lives, to distract us from the hope of the gospel, and to kill our hope that our life can be better as we walk with God. What's the answer to that? Unfollow, turn off... Click. That's the answer to that. Don't let this world rob you of your hope. Instead, what about sharing hope? Let me give you an example of that. In 1 Samuel 17, look at me in 1 Samuel the 17th chapter. This is the story of David and Goliath. What many people fail to remember about this story is that once David kills Goliath, the whole Israelite army rolls onto the battlefield and routs the Philistines. This is the same army that 15 minutes ago was quaking in their boots and their tents because one big guy was out there screaming at them. What changed? David changed it. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. All this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. He'll give you into our hand. Can you feel it? You know, every soldier watching that young man advance toward Goliath was beginning to say, that is right. We're part of the armies of God. Why are we afraid? God is on our side. You can feel hope. 
rising in their chest. And so verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath. David has hope and he shares that hope. Guess what you and I need to be doing? In 1 Peter the third chapter, in 1 Peter the third chapter, there the apostle talks about the role that disciples play in life. In 1 Peter the third chapter, in verse 15, we need, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, in our hearts to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. For the hope that's in you. We use that passage to say that if somebody asks you about the distinctiveness of the church of Christ, you should be ready to answer. Or if somebody attacks the Genesis account of creation, you should be ready to say something about Genesis 1. And, and, and I get it. And that's part here by principle, absolutely. But what 1 Peter 3.15 portrays is that people are going to see folks who have hope in a hopeless world and they're going to say, Hey, what's up with you? Why do you have so much hope? Why are you so optimistic? Why do you have a joy in your life? And when people ask for a reason, for the hope that's in us, we're going to tell them. We're going to share our hope in Christ with gentleness and respect. And I should say this, if we're going to do that, we're going to need to be full of hope. And it's reading the Bible that's going to give us that hope. In Romans, please... In Romans 15, do you remember that passage I read a moment ago? In Romans 15 and verse 4. In Romans 15 and in verse 4. There Paul says, The Old Testament was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. If your hope tank is a little low, you're not seeing in your life, the work of God, you don't feel like you're on this journey towards heaven and God is shaping you into the image of His Son, you're struggling with some of that, what do you need to do about that? You need to read your Bible. But you need to read your Bible in a specific kind of way. You need to read it and look for hope. Look for people with hope. Look for what God does. Watch for how God works in people's lives like David who goes marching out onto the battlefield when nobody does. Nobody else will. If we'll go looking for hope, you'll see the Bible is just chock full of stories where God took people who were nothing and made them something in His service and filled them with hope because God worked in their lives. And it teaches us so much about the Lord. It teaches us that we are headed for heaven and that God is committed to getting us there. He's working with us as we walk in Him. Get in the Word more than anything. Read about Jesus Christ. All hope centers in Him. Be in the Word. Will your anchor hold? It will if you read your Bible. Now I hope those things, I hope, I hope those things will be helpful to you. But last summer, my wife Dean and I had the opportunity to go on a fabulous 12-day cruise around the United Kingdom. We went a lot of places and saw a lot of great things. One of the places that the boat stopped, we took some tours and so forth, it's a little town in Ireland, big town in Ireland, Cork, Ireland. Lots of Irish stuff going on there, people talking. 
Said they were speaking English. Got no idea what they were saying. Couldn't understand. A very neat place. And as we were sailing along in this big bus tour, we went down a main street in Cork Island, and the guy on the bus, the tour guide, he said, hey, take a look at that. You see that? That's a funeral home. Kind of took a look at that. See that? Give you a little better look. You know what that is next to the funeral home? He pointed this out for us as well. You know what that is in the blue next to the funeral home? Next to the funeral home, that's a bar. That's a bar. And the name of that bar in Celtic is Chenay. That's how you say that in the Irish tongue, Chenay. And the bus driver told us what that means. You know what that means? That means that's it. All done. So what you do is you live your life and then you die. And we take you to the funeral home and we say some nice words about you and then we all go next door to a bar and we get drunk because you're all done. That's it. That's the most hopeless thing I've ever seen. Is that all life is? A few moments here, and then people become intoxicated and try to remember some nice things about our few moments because then we're all done. That's it. Listen to me, Christian. We know better. We know that this life is not all there is and that when we come to this end of this life, we're not all done. That's not it. Instead, we have the hope that comes in Jesus Christ, the hope of salvation as God has worked in our lives throughout our lives that ends in eternity with our Savior and Lord. That is a hope you can anchor to. And I believe in that hope. Let's pray about it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we're saddened by the hopelessness of our world today, by those who don't understand and those who are anchoring their lives to everything that is false and temporary. Father, strengthen our faith that we would have more hope in Your work, in what You are doing to bring us home to You, Give us more faith so that we would have more hope in Your Son. Help us to share that hope and to not let anyone take it from us. Father, help us to be the people of hope, shining as lights in a dark time. But more than anything, Father, I pray that we will believe in the hope of the Gospel now and for our future, that we can anchor ourselves to it. We're thankful for hope. We're thankful for Jesus. It's in His name we pray. And Amen. If you're going to sing with a songbook as we sing this invitation song, it'd be a mighty good time to find one. You'll need one in about 30 seconds. Because we're going to close this service by saying, 
What are you anchoring your life to? Are you anchored to the hope of the gospel? If not, we want to help you with that. If you need to know more about Jesus, more about the gospel, would you grab me or grab Warren after services? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. We'll get some coffee. We'll talk about the hope of the gospel. If you know these things, but you've never appropriated them for yourself, Maybe other people around you are about that, but you've never said, you know what, that's it. i got to get anchored. This is it. This is your moment to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, as Acts 2.38 teaches, to begin your walk with God. God's going to work in your life tonight to wash away your sins in the water of baptism, Acts 22.16. And He's going to work in your life to bring you home to Him. If you are a Christian and you are not walking with the Lord, the reason your hope tank is so empty, yeah, you know. Because you don't have that hope of salvation. And this is your chance to say, I want to serve the Lord again. I want to fill up on hope in Jesus Christ. I want to do what's right. I need to ask God for forgiveness, God's people for forgiveness. I need to repent. I need to turn back to the Lord. Could we help you do that? If we could help you to become a Christian, if we could help you be a better Christian, if we can help you to have the hope of the gospel to anchor your life to make your way right down front while we stand, while we sing.